Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mazel Tov. Nothing personal word of the day for Wednesday, January 12th, 2022 is Mazel Tov. That means congratulations in Hebrew. It's what you say when someone does something good. Mazel. Ever watched Andy Cohen and watch what happens live? Mazel. Mazel Tov, not to my daughter and son-in-law whose wedding I am going to. I will no show tomorrow, Coca. Hey, Coca, you got the day off. Will CBS give you the full day off tomorrow? because there is no show as I get ready to celebrate. I think I'm going to try to do a show from the wedding hotel on Friday and on Monday, but tomorrow, no. Travel day. <laughs> Mazel tov. Who am I congratulating? You for getting the day off. You deserve it after that college football season you went through, Coca. I'm really saying it to Tony Clark and Rob Manford the head of the Players Union and the Commissioner of Baseball, because tomorrow, wait for it, there will be a meeting. Why is this newsworthy? Because MLB, the owners, have locked out the players. You've heard my lockout updates. I can't do my normal MLB lockout update today, which I've been able to do since December 2nd, which was crickets. The MLB update is that there's going to be a meeting. How does the media find out you know the answer to that. I don't even have to say it. For those of you new to the show, when we do something at they, dollar, when they do something that, know, that they know is going to be well-received, they're going to let the media know. So they call up the media and say, we are having a meeting with the Players Association. We made the call. We're trying to end the lockout. We're trying to restart negotiations. We are trying to light a fire under the ass of these players. Owners announce the meeting tomorrow. Then they go on Twitter. They look around. They see Christian Yelich send a tweet with a GIF, GIF or GIF, Coca, with the GIF that says, figure it out when news was leaked to Jeff Passan. Jeff Passan gets all his stuff from the commissioner's office. And figure it out. That's what, as an owner, you want to see the players saying. Because when the union wants to figure it out, when the union members tell the union leaders to figure it out, that means the union members are getting a little itchy. The baseball calendar is such that there is a rhythm to the year. And we know the rhythm is going to get you right after January 1st, because that is when baseball players start their preparation for spring training. They get through New Year's Eve, and then they get through the January 1st, they have a couple cups of coffee. And then other than Ichiro, who worked out 365 days a year, 
Then you start your program as you mentally are ready. Front office is same. When the calendar turns, you realize that you are then six weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting. You are getting things finalized, settled. You're selling tickets. All sorts of things are happening on both the owner's side and the player's side after the new year. Meanwhile, we're 12 days after the new year. People are getting a little antsy. So the owners say, all right, let's meet. And we're going to talk about core economic issues. That's not really how they talk. That's how the media presents it is how they talk. It's not that. There's an issues list when you're doing a collective bargaining agreement. And there are proposals that address issues on the issues list. So when you give a proposal to the other side, it's not, you don't title it core economic positions, core economic issues. No, you do a piece of paper for several pages long that goes through proposed language on deal points and bullet form of how you will deal with minimum salaries, universal DH, expanded playoffs, arbitration, service time, free agency, draft compensation, all the issues that we've gone through one by one. You make a proposal that deals with a group of those issues. There are rumors going around, especially out of the USA yesterday, which says, the rumors say that the core economic issues that will be discussed are going to be not arbitration, not service time, and not free agency. So you say to yourself, well, is this going to be a proposal that will be anything other than shat upon by the union? Great question. In the beginning of a lockout, you stay quiet. In the beginning of the middle of a lockout, you start making proposals that you know will be rejected. At the end of the middle of a lockout, you start to make proposals where you are beginning to show a path to completion. At the beginning of the end of a lockout, the exchanging of proposals starts knocking issues off the board. At the middle of the end of a lockout, you have narrowed it down to the final final, which requires the final horse trade prior to an agreement being consummated. Folks, we are merely at the beginning of the middle. So don't be alarmed when you get word, and you will, that the proposal made by baseball during their meeting is a proposal that didn't really move anything along. It was a proposal on core economic issues that may have agreed that they will eliminate draft compensation for those players who get qualified offers because the union thinks that when you have a qualified offer that their players are getting paid less than if they didn't get a qualifying offer. A qualifying offer is when you have to give up a draft pick when you sign a player who is getting a qualified offer. Go back and listen to some previous shows about that. Easy give by the owners. That's a beginning of the middle give, no problem. Minimum salary, we're going to go up a tad from 570000 We're not going to get to where we're going to end, but we're going to show some movement, beginning of the middle. Expanded playoffs, our way, beginning of the middle. It's not going to end that way, but that's what we're going to say we want. Arbitration, not going to discuss it. Changing 
free agency, the way the players want free agency after five years, not six years, not going to discuss it. Why is it that negotiators go along this path? The reason is that you cannot skip any steps when you're doing collective bargaining. You can't because fans are upset or the media is saying, you're going to kill the game. We're going to be delayed. Spring training is going to be delayed. The regular season games could be missed. Rob Manford promised lockouts are not a big deal when games aren't missed. Well, if a game is missed, then the lockout becomes a big deal. You've got to take that noise away, put it down below in a place that you don't pay attention to, even though in this day and age, it's hard. Because you know that if you skip any steps, do you remember, Coco, when we talked about negotiating with free agents? That may not, may not have been on this show. I think it was. Didn't we have a talk where when you know where you're going to get to, you can't go there immediately because then you're going to have to go to a higher number? Am I totally wrong here, Matt? I don't think so. I think we totally covered that subject. So in negotiating, and this is negotiating 303, when you're only at the beginning of the middle and you recognize that's where you are and you act like in your proposals that you're at the beginning of the end, you are going to lose the negotiation. And that is not something the owners want to do. It's not something the players want to do. So all of the rhetoric that you're going to hear, and there will be plenty of it, please ignore it. Don't be despondent beyond repair and recognize that this is the exact process that we've told you is going to happen. This lockout will end. There will be a delay in spring training. There is the possibility of regular season games being either pushed back or even lowered from 162. None of it will impact October. None of it will impact league revenue. None of it will impact your favorite team from being your favorite team during those hot summer days when there's nothing to watch other than and um, baseball. Mazel tov. Nothing personal word of the day. All right, Joe Judge, did you listen to Nothing Personal yesterday? The meeting between John Mara and Joe Judge, when John Mara agreed that he would keep Joe Judge? Well, guess what? I got a quote for you. It's pretty good. Steve Tisch is the other owner with John Mara of the Giants. This is John Mara talking. Steve Tisch and I both believe it is in the best interest of our franchise to move in another direction. Really? Really? You believe that now? As opposed to the quarterback sneak on third and nine? <laughs> That's just the play, don't forget. As opposed to the fact that your Giants can't win games? As opposed to the fact that your players don't play for him? As opposed to the fact that he's overmatched and you know it? but you're gonna give us this line that you took out of someone else's press release when they fired their coach? And it doesn't apply here. What's going on, New York? Line number two. We met with Joe yesterday afternoon to discuss the state of the team. I met again with Joe this afternoon, and it was during that conversation I informed Joe of our decision. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a bigger bunch of horse hockey in my career. Any owner that goes into a meeting with a manager or a coach and doesn't know how that meeting is going to end is a bad owner. 
I don't care how many Super Bowl rings, how many World Series championships, any business that you have, when you go into a meeting with a customer, do you know what the object of that meeting is? Do you know what you're trying to sell or what you're trying to buy or what you're trying to accomplish? If you don't, then you're not good at your job. When you go into a meeting with a player, do you know whether or not you are going to take that player out of a game, put him on the injured list? Of course you do. How many times now we show video where Jacob DeGrom or Garrett Cole or Max Scherzer wave off their manager? Oh, I convinced my manager to let me face another batter. Maybe 1% of the time a manager can be convinced of a move, of changing a move between walking out of the dugout and getting to the pitcher's mound. But in the C-suite with the owner, chairman, president, when you're meeting with your on-field personnel, oh, we met again this afternoon. It was during the conversation. Everything happens during a conversation because if you say to someone you're fired, that's the conversation. When's the last time someone got fired not during a conversation? Oh, me, via text message. So I guess you can be fired not during a conversation. I take it back. That said, to give that statement is totally disingenuous. What happened from their meeting two days ago to their meeting yesterday? Nothing except John Maris saw all of the negativity. He saw all of the people saying, we're done with you. We're done with the Giants. Do you remember what John Maris said when he hired Joe Judge? Because nobody ever revisits that. I wanted John Maris to revisit that in his statement. I met again with Joe this afternoon. It was during that conversation. I informed Joe of our decision. We appreciate Joe's efforts on behalf of the organization. I said before the season started that I wanted to feel good about the direction we were headed when we played our last game of the season. Unfortunately, I cannot make that statement, which is why we have made the decision. I'm sorry. Does that mean that you were comfortable about the last game of the season while the last game of the season was being played or that you were uncomfortable after the last game of the season when you realized what people were saying about the last game of the season or are you a better owner and president because you realized during the course of the season that it didn't matter what happened at the end of the season, no matter beating Washington or losing to Washington or going in for on third and nine or sneaking on third and nine or getting a safety or punting, that none of that had anything to do. Because as a fan of the Giants, if I think owners are making decisions based on a play, then I'm quite concerned. But then I went back because Coca helped me go back and saw what John Mara said when he hired Joe Judge. This is interesting. This was a very long time ago. Do you remember when he hired Joe Judge? He's been there for, I think, 12 years. He's won two Super Bowls. And so this is the end of an era. No, it's not, folks. He hired Joe Judge in 2020, two years ago. Ready? He's coming in. He's 38 years old. He comes from a completely different organization, Patriots. He was not a safe, comfortable pick. One of the things we were looking for, quite frankly, was somebody who was going to come in here and maybe make some people a little bit uncomfortable. And here we go. Get ready. What's gone on the last few years is not acceptable anymore. 
We have to try a new way of doing things. And he's got some unique ideas, like a quarterback sneak on third and nine about dealing with players and how you practice and the discipline factor and the leadership factor. OMG. It's what every president says about every hire. But fans never go back and look at the hiring press conference during a firing press conference. When do you look at the GM or the owner and say, we've had three managers in six years, three coaches in six years? The lack of continuity is staggering. I own up to the lack of continuity we have with the Marlins. It was hurtful, not helpful. We all know that. But in football, lack of continuity is way worse for the performance on the field than lack of continuity in baseball. It's not even close. A head coach in football is far more important to the result on the field than a manager in baseball. Our problem in baseball is we didn't have good enough players or the players we had who were good enough didn't play well enough together, whatever the case may be. Didn't have enough pitching, didn't have enough hitting, doesn't matter. You could have had Connie Mack manage the Marlins and we would not have had different results in my opinion. But football, there is a far greater attention paid to who you hire as coach. Except in football, they do the same thing they do in every other sport. When they hire a coach, they say, we're changing it up. We have found our guy. Everybody who hires a coach says we found our guy. Well, now we can say if you're the New York Yankees, we found our girl. But then it goes sour. I've always told you no one gets married with the thought of getting a divorce. No one hires a coach thinking it's going to last one year, two years, or three years. You hire a coach saying, I got it right. This is going to be my Tom Landry. This is going to be my Nick Saban in college. This is going to be someone who I'm going to be with for the rest of time. And then time passes. People change. Things change. In a results-oriented business, when the results aren't there, you have no choice but to change. In a world where media and fans matter and all have the ability at the type of a keyboard to make their opinion known and heard, and you've got a president or an owner who is subject to the whims of what you are all saying, you're going to have lack of continuity, and you're going to know the difference between owners and presidents who don't care what you say and owners and presidents who do. I'll tell you right now, John Mara fell prey to all of the fans of the New York Giants who said he has to go. Are you sure? Are you going to be happy with your next coach? You certainly are day one. But are the results of the Giants going to change? I guess we're going to have to wait to see. Do you remember uh, the... Uh, Coca, thank you. Oh, Coca just found a quote. This is live happening while we're doing the show. Coca found a quote from Joe, Judge, Joe, Joe Judge's opening press conference when he said, we will punch you in the nose for 60 minutes. We will play every play like it has a history and a life of its own. <laughs> Again, Coca, he didn't get fired because of the quarterback sneak on third and nine. It's ironic. It's why we try to have managers not say platitudes like that or statements which you know are not going to be true. What was the name of the coach who talked about the kneecaps? Dan Campbell. Remember the coach of the, um, what coach is he from? Lions. He's the guy who said, 
when someone comes at us, we're going to go at them harder. When someone comes to our ankle, we're going to go to his knee. When someone breaks one of our hamstrings, we're going to crush his kneecaps. How did the Lions do this year? What was their record? 3-13-1. God, that's a lot of kneecaps there, Dan. Everyone was excited. Dan Campbell's not going to make it. Not going to make it. There's going to be a new owner in professional football next year at some point. I'm not sure when, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen in the great city of Denver. The Broncos, was it yesterday or the day before when we talked about the right of first refusal and that lawsuit? It was some day, maybe even this week. Just a quick reminder, the Denver Broncos are up for sale. But the Denver Broncos' current owners, which is an estate of Jim Bolin, who died a couple of years ago, they went to court to get something called a declaratory judgment. A declaratory judgment is when you go to a court and say, I think I'm going to have a problem. Let's get an answer to the problem that I don't have right now, but I think is coming. So when it comes, I already know what the court is going to say about this problem. It is literally a court saying, I am declaring a judgment on something that hasn't happened yet, but that this party, the plaintiff, believes is going to happen. The declaratory judgment was, seek, was sought or seeked. God dog it, am I really having a grammar issue? I'm sorry, Mr. Lynn. A declaratory judgment was sought by the owners of the Broncos because they did not want to have a right of first refusal associated with the sale of the team because of the quashing impact it would have on the price. So they went to court and the judge decided yesterday that the ROFR is SOL. The right of first refusal has been denied. Now, what does that actually mean? And what was actually ruled on by the court? It was a very interesting decision. It was a 41-page uh, um, document. I was able to read the entire decision, and I was not aware of how the judge would rule and why the judge ruled the way the judge did. So the ruling stated that the right of first refusal does not apply to the sale of the Broncos. That the right of first refusal was associated in an agreement that had to do with an entity that one of its assets was the Denver Broncos. Corporate structure of these teams would make you smile. I just saw a tweet today, Coca, about a flowchart, you know my brain works in flowcharts, and there's a new flowchart available on the InterGoogle about COVID and when to quarantine and how long to quarantine and all the confusing back and forth. And it really shouldn't be that confusing. If you feel sick, don't go out. And when you stop feeling sick, wear a mask and get vaccinated and be boosted and wear a mask through 10 days. That's sort of the rules. If you just remember that simple rule, it's gonna all work out. Oh, I gotta do a detour, quick detour, I promise. Did you see the fight between Dr. Fauci and Senator Rand Paul yesterday? I'm not telling you that I support Dr. Fauci or that I support Rand Paul. I'm telling you that I support a government where during a Senate committee hearing, that's impacting millions of people, whether it's about the budget, whether it's about infrastructure, whether it's about 
inflation, whether it's about COVID, whether it's about criminal punishment. I really would rather not see how that sausage is made live on television if the sausage is six, nine. I would rather not see how the sausage is going to be made if what I'm looking at is going to embarrass me. I was mortified by the back and forth between Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci, and I was mortified because the world we are now in, in the US and around the world as it relates to COVID, is the politicalization of not just COVID, but the absolute inability of any side of the aisle to do anything other than talk and not listen. When you have a view that is not considered way left or way right, and you are moderate, that has become unacceptable. That's dangerous, folks. And I don't mean dangerous like civil war, go get a gun and protect yourself dangerous. I mean dangerous to actually progress. And progress is all that you want, whether you're in the 1600s or the 2000s. You want progress. And watching them go back and forth in, in, a, in a committee hearing, go check out the video. They should both be ashamed of themselves for, for having it happen the way it did. And when you cannot have it be anything other than personal, you are in violation of our show. And that became awfully personal against Dr. Fauci. So that was the quick detour about what I watched. But the point of that is that the way the sausage is made in these agreements is that when you buy a team, there is a flow chart of entities that would shock you. The Marlins, when they were purchased, Jeffrey Loria had an entity that owned an entity that owned an entity that owned the franchise, an entity that owned an entity that had the TV deal, an entity of the entity that had another entity. There was LLCs. There were LPs, there were C's, S's, and any other initial you can think of. It's all done by lawyers who charge $1,500 an hour, working with accountants who charge $1,500 an hour in order to keep rich people richer by avoiding taxes. Minimizing taxes is the cause of every single move that is made on the corporate level when they are forming entities to make acquisitions, period. So the Broncos are owned in all of these different entities and the judge had to go through all of them, sift through them, read provisions, then decide whether those provisions were intended when everybody's dead who was at the meeting, might I add, the principals are all dead, and figure out what meant what. And the easiest way and the right way in this case is that the right of first refusal has disappeared and the owner of that right of first refusal is SOL. So wait to see is when we tell you something's gonna happen. When it happens, we revisit it. When it doesn't happen, we revisit it. The Denver Broncos, the rumor is right now that they're gonna be sold. The head of the trust that owns the Broncos said, now we can move forward post haste. 
We're ready to go. We'd like to have new ownership in as quickly as possible. Do you know it's owned? Side note, the father owned the team, Pat Bowl, and the father died of Alzheimer's. Three kids inherited the team, and three kids can't get along and can't decide who's going to be in charge. So now the team has to be sold. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like what happened with the Yankees? Where Hank and Hal were fighting it out, and then Hal ended up prevailing? There was a while there when Hank was in charge. It's amazing how kids fight. It's like succession, I guess. Wow, that's true. The Broncos situation is like succession. It actually is succession. Who's going to succeed Pat Bolin? Well, here's the answer. Check out season four. Nobody. We're selling. Wait to see. Hard as they may want it, the Denver Broncos will not have the sale completed by the start of training camp. Wait to see. The Broncos will be sold, but not by the start of training camp. I have to revisit a wait to see about Matt Nagy. I had a, uh, a listener. Thank you for listening to Nothing Personal and rating and reviewing and all the great things you do. One of you said that your wait to see specifically said that Matt Nagy will not coach the Bears in 2022. And I said that wait to see was correct. And I remember saying it on the show. And it turns out I'm wrong. Because he did coach in 2022, because the calendar shows games of the regular season of the 21 season being played in 2022. So, listen to me now and hear me later. I am taking a yes for that wait to see, because you know, I know, we all know, I meant next season. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for going on YouTube if you're watching. I'm getting ready to head to a wedding. So I've got a blazer on and a shirt. Nothing Personal with David Sampson. Watched an entire episode, season. Start again, Coco. Wipe that. Welcome back to not, right, right, no, start, right. Wipe 10, 20, 69. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating and reviewing and for following us on YouTube. I watch a movie every day or a series. I watched an entire series on December 31st. So it's 10 days ago. But I had no idea what it was about other than one of you told me to watch it. I love getting movie and TV suggestions. I keep it on a list on my phone. I do. And I get to as many as I can when I can. I watched a show called Dash and Lily 
on Netflix. I don't remember the number of episodes. It's with Austin Abrams, who I'd seen in something else. Midori Francis, who I had just seen in The Sex Lives of College Girls. And it is about a boy and a girl who are courting each other without ever having met. So it's not like serendipity with John Cusack where they meet once and they try to meet again and they never find each other till the end. In fact, they've never met. They leave notes for each other. It's based on a book. They leave notes in a... I'm so excited to talk about Dash and Lily. They leave notes to each other in a book. I loved it. It's meant for young people. And I grant you, I'm not young, but I'm not old. I'm in the fifth inning, folks. I'm just starting. Someone said to me yesterday, oh, it's your daughter's wedding. Do you realize that that means you're close to being a grandpa? Okay. Dash and Lily season one, check it out. And the only thing I will say is I watched it December 31st. Among other things that I watched December 31st, I watched Squid Game that day too. But I do know this. The final episode of Dash and Lily, the final scene of Dash and Lily is on New Year's Eve. And I watched it coincidentally on New Year's Eve. Did that change my view of the series? Did it make me like it? No, I had already decided my review before the last scene. It's worth watching. Okay. Coca, after two days, we are getting to this. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. That is based on a character in the movie Half-Baked with that great cameo from Bob Saget, rest in peace. It's when you ask me a question on Twitter at David P. Samson, get in there, hit follow, and then get to me a question. Hello, David. Hello. I saw your tweet about Chris Jones and him needing one more sack for a $1.5 million bonus. Do players really know about these incentive clauses? Do coaches? Thank you so much for asking. I've been meaning to talk about this, and it's actually prescient because it's timely. Once you're done listening to this show and you've got about 15 minutes left, go search Rob Gronkowski on the sideline when he has caught a pass that gave him half a million dollar bonus in the last game of the year. Rob Gronkowski made a million dollars in incentives in that last game, half a million of which came on that final pass given by Tom Brady right before he was taken out of a game that he shouldn't have been in to begin with. Rob Gronkowski goes to the sidelines, gets congratulated by a teammate. Did you just make a millie? Gronkowski said, I made a millie. Gronkowski goes to Tom Brady. Thank you, dog. I was incensed. Bruce Arians knew about this. He knew exactly what the incentives were. And Bruce Arians made sure that his player got it. In baseball, we were in charge of whether players got incentives. We never would leave it up to the manager. 
because the manager would always want his players to get more money, to hit their incentives, because they're living with the player every day in the clubhouse. They want to be known as someone who looks out for the player's pocketbooks. Often they are former players who don't want to begrudge current players for making as much money as they can from rich owners. We would not ever allow anyone to make any incentive bonus that we did not want to see happen. I want to get it out there as clearly as I can. If there is a bonus for games started for a pitcher, we map out the starts for that starter, and we know in advance whether we are prepared for that player to hit that bonus level. And if we are not, if we've had a bad year, if the attendance is down, if the team is down and not winning, we're not going to let the player hit it. We will never, and I never in 18 years, stopped a player from making an incentive that would hurt our ability to win a game, ever. The number one goal is winning a game that matters. Winning a game when you're eliminated from the playoffs doesn't matter. Winning a game when you have not been eliminated, whether that's game 5, 20, 40, 80, 120, or game 162. Winning a game is all that matters. Now you say, David, you constantly say it's just business. Well, yeah. But when we do our budget, we include what's called makeable incentives. Makeable incentives are incentives that you give a player in a contract to attain a level that that player has attained at one point in his career. An unmakeable incentive is an incentive that we do not budget for that asks a player to do something that he has never ever done. If that player does something he's never done, let's say start 35 games, the player's always heard, starts never more than 20 games. <clears throat> And all of a sudden that player is healthy. He's got 34 starts. There's one start to go and he is the best person to start to win a game that we need to win. We are going to let that player make his unmakeable incentive. If that player is not the best person to start a game in a game that does not matter and he needs one start to hit that level of incentive, that player will not get another start and we will hide behind. We want to give a young player a start we're going in a different direction. The front office knows every single incentive. Guess who else does? The coach, the managers, and every teammate. I'm not the only one who carries around a list. Chris Jones needed $1.5 million for a sack. I was shocked when he didn't get it. I figured that all he has to do is buy a watch for the offensive lineman, bing, bang, boom. Hey, I, I couldn't block him. I couldn't get him. You think that'd be the first time that there'd be collusion between opponents to help a fellow union member get extra money? Absolutely not. It happens with opponents. Teammates, it's a guarantee. If you give the freedom and the power to teammates to help each other get to a bonus, they'll help each other every single time. Tom Brady wasn't surprised. He knew exactly what Rob Gronkowski needed. And he was going to get it for him. It's not his money. What does he care? 
I was taken aback by the video, and here's why. What we would say to our players is, when you get this, act like you've been there before. Because think about what it is for fans. They're treating a million dollars like it was just for fun. Like, I got a milli. That's not very relatable to 99.9% .9 of your fan base. It makes you seem not funny. It makes you seem spoiled and childlike. That's how Gronkowski seemed to me. Like some kind of brat who knows that he just stole a million dollars that, let me say it a better way. Like some kind of brat who knows that he just got an incentive when he had no right to be in that game at that time, and it was a gift from the coach, from Brady, and here's the spoiler alert, folks, from the owner. Because if the owner had not pre-approved that play, that's not gonna happen. Because if the owner hadn't pre-approved it, and then it happens, that coach is fired. And I don't mean after the playoffs, I mean right then and there, but they're defending Super Bowl champions, you can't do that. If you have that level of, it's not discord, it's basic disrespect. It's spending other people's money. That's not allowed. You do what we tell you to do when it comes to that type of incentive. Do you know that we would meet with the manager prior to a game where there was an incentive at play? So he would be aware so he would know that we're aware and we would discuss the exact schedule of what we'd allow and what we wouldn't. You think that the head of the Buccaneers did not know what was at stake at the final game? Give me a break. Okay. Nothing personal pick of the day. Would you agree that we've started off the season well? Were you scared of taking the Grizzlies plus two and a half against the Warriors? Were you nervous because the Warriors are the best team in basketball with the Suns? Guess who's got the third best record? My main man, John Morant, got us to seven and one. Grizzlies plus two and a half was a winner. Frankly, the Grizzlies won the game. If you had taken the money line, you won two. We've got a game tonight that I want to talk about. It's Mavs minus one and a half over the Knicks. The Knicks are now a below 500 team. There is tremendous discord between the fan base and the team. There's booing going on. One of their favorite players who just signed a big deal, that guy Randall, fan favorite, now all of a sudden is a fan goat. Fans are despondent about him, be that as it may. The Knicks have him. They signed him. I guess they could move him for another bad contract. I want to talk about why Jimmy Dolan, the owner of the Knicks, why John Mara, the owner of the Giants, why Woody Johnson, the owner of the Jets, why Steve Cohn, the owner of the Mets, and Hal Steinbrenner, the owner of the Yankees, and Jim Dolan, the owner of the Rangers, and Joe Sy, the owner of the Nets. What do all these people have in common? They are your New York metropolitan owners. I actually don't know who owns the Islanders, but I should have said them. Blitzer with the Devils. That's sort of in the New York area. New York teams have something very strange. They have a value to them that is not based on winning and losing. Are you ready for this irony? It's based on revenue. 
the value of a team based on revenue and not how many Super Bowls you've won, not how many championships you've won, but the actual amount of dollars that you make as a team? Horror. How can that be? Have you ever seen owners who have less incentive to do what you want as fans than New York owners? We spent the beginning of the show saying that Joe Judge was fired because John Mara paid attention to what you said. We talk about how Steve Ross in Miami or the owners of other teams, Daniel Snyder, Jerry Jones, they'll send out PR trial balloons just to see where people are. That's true. That all happens. New York Knicks, among other New York teams, what they have that you're not aware of is called a CSOR. A CSOR is a constant stream of revenue that is not dependent on you because all you do is complain, but you never vote with your pocketbook. All corporations do in New York is vote with their pocketbook by being huge multi-million dollar sponsors of the New York Knicks. You all go to Knick games, not like back in the 80s with the blue seats and the people getting high in the blue seats where you couldn't see across the court. There were four to 5,000 people at the garden. Those days are over. The New York Knicks sell out 19,763 people. Their corporate revenue continues to lead the league. The value of their team continues to lead the league. And wouldn't you know it, the Knicks haven't won a thing. When's the last time the Knicks did anything, Coca? Do you have any recollection? I believe the last time they won it was when they were in the finals in 99. I'm pretty sure they haven't been to a conference finals since 99. I'm pretty sure they haven't won a playoff. I'm trying to think the last time they won a playoff series. And guess what? Their revenue continues to grow. Why would an owner ever change position, ever change his modus operandi, ever change anything? The Knicks haven't won a playoff series in 10 years. Yet the money that comes in grows every single year. You want to boo Randall? You want to say you're upset with James Dolan? You want your Knicks to be a better team? So better that you're so desperate that when they start off the season with a good record, you assume they're going to win the damn conference. And then when they play to where they should play, given their talent level, then walk away. Be one of the fans who doesn't just say, I don't want to be a fan of that team anymore. Don't be the one who stands there with a sign outside, fire the owner, fire the president, sell the team. They hire a plane with a banner saying sell the team. Owners don't care about that because all the other streams of revenue continue and they grow. Has there ever been a better example than with the New York Knicks and all the New York sports teams when it's just business? We'll see on Friday. It's nothing personal.